to Awkward Insurance. One day it's cold, the next day it's hot. But as always, what is really hot is just the fact that you guys keep returning to come back and listen to us do just some weird things from one day to the next. We love seeing you on the Awkward Insurance Facebook group. So we are so happy to have you there. I always say that I'm so excited for our guests like today, but I'm just maybe kind of mildly excited, like low-key <laughs> excited. Not super. I'm just kidding. Wow. I'm like really excited. I just thought it would. <laughs> no, I am super excited. And I just want to say, Ash, since our podcast journey adventure started, there's one major thing that I've learned. And I think it just, and the reason why I'm saying it is because it just kind of brings it home with today's guest is just to ask. I think I've always been the person that's been afraid to ask. Like, I don't want to interject myself. I don't want to invite myself into a space kind of thing. And since I started this podcast journey, because I have to ask people to be on the podcast, I've learned just to ask. And I don't think I've received a no yet. So I am so excited that today's guest said yes. We have Michael McCormick. Thank you so much for being here. I am very excited for you. I'm excited to be on here with you guys. Ashley, have you actually ever met Michael? I think that we met one time, long, long time ago in North Carolina at. Jason Cass's event long I, time ago. I think we were in the room together. I don't think we shook hands at it. Maybe. Well, you know, I was mentally shaking your hand. You know what? I was mentally shaking your hand. <laughs> from, See, from, from oh my gosh. Room. Look at that. Let's not mentally shake anything else other than hand. But, you are. No, I just thought it was really friend. Bring it. Bring it. <laughs> you, you, I should nestle into this to this conversation quite nicely if it's going to be uh, if it's going to be awkward because I feel that I am often very very misunderstood because I myself is tremendously awkward and ninety seven percent of the time I am coming from a place of humor but because it's coming over a keyboard or through the monitor if you don't know me it hits you between the eyes and you're like where's this guy coming from and I am literally always just messing around so yeah awkward. I get that, but I feel like your followers on the soup on Facebook are kind of the same. Sometimes they like attack people who ask for information and sometimes they're like, let me give you all the information. I stay a little like tone confused about the insurance soup group on so, Facebook. You know, it, it's funny because when we uh, when we got it up and off the ground, the intention was never to monetize. It was never to turn it into a business. It was never anything along those lines. It was always just to bring the industry together and for Taylor, my partner, and I to selfishly learn from everybody. We weren't planning on you know, creating products or services or anything like that. And when we first started the group, uh, we kind of ran it like a romper room. You know, like we didn't have any kind of real rhyme or reason with how we were trying to uh, you know, run the group outside of the fact that we wanted to get everyone in one place talking about the good, the bad, and the ugly. We were all siloed at that point. You know, you had your your state farm here, your all state here, your independence here, you know, your your farmers agents here. And we just wanted to get everyone in, in one room to be able to learn from everybody. And because we had no real intention or anything, you know, we just had fun with it. And if people were openly trying to sell stuff or push stuff or uh they were getting they were getting uh you know out of control with agents or anything like that, we just removed them. And it created a little bit of a a wild, wild west scenario and the audience loved it. They absolutely loved the wild, wild west <laughs> atmosphere in the beginning. In the very, very early days of the group, whenever we were uh, considering removing someone from the environment, we would, we, me, I would, 
Taylor would sit on the sidelines and, and, and be like, should we really be doing this? But yeah, you know, whatever. I would go onto Google and I would grab a picture of a medieval executioner and I would put a picture of that medieval executioner up with the person that had their offense in the group and what they did. And I would let the group decide if that person would stay or go. And one thing that I learned about our industry is even though we all shake hands and smile at one another, if we're given an opportunity to see some bloodshed, we will absolutely roll heads. But what's funny about that was because uh, that was that was something that we did to just kind of have fun in the early stages. It did kind of set the tone around the uh, like the kind of silly and ruckus uh, atmosphere that soup can become at times. And it also uh, it also allowed a lot of the earlier members to really feel like they were actively participating in the way the group was shaping and growing and moving and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, here we are. <laughs> that, that was a great intro into the insurance soup when I didn't even ask. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I was actually going to say, you have spent a lot of time talking about insurance soup and everything else. So I think other people can go and find podcasts on that. I wanted to talk about some other stuff today, but let's just cue up who Michael is. You typed in just the shortest little bio I think any guest ever has. Co-owner and co-founder of Insurance Soup, which started in December of 2015. Also co-owner and co-founder of the Collective Agency Council, career insurance agents known as CIA, which causes a lot of confusion because we think you're some secret insurance government operative. No, I'm kidding. Taco Bot, which is like one of the funnest things ever, even though I've got no use for Taco Bot, I will like just ping Taco Bot every once in a while just to see what it's got for me. <laughs> it's, it's, it's super niche. It's, a, it's a, a very specific agent uses Taco Bot. Right. Um, also co-owner, co-founder of Agency Elephant, the insurance content project and Soup Live, which you have been running that for the last two years and gives a lot of us FOMO because it looks really fun. <laughs> And then you also call yourself a staunch agent advocate and industry insure tech investor. Gosh, I said it was short, but that was a mouthful. It's a lot. It was a mouthful, wasn't it? Co-owner, co-founder of a lot of things. I was going to call you very selfless from um, hearing some of your podcasts in the past. You give a lot of yourself back. And then I just heard that you started Insurance Soup to be very selfish. So Absolutely. Selfish or selfless? Which one? I mean, it really depends on the scenario, right? I mean, we're 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 all humans, right? We we all we all give and take, depending on where we are in the world and and what we're able to give or what we're able to take. But no, I mean, I think one of the reasons that we've had success over the years is because I, by and large, don't really pull punches. I don't hold secrets. You know, if you want to know something, you want to learn something, you want advice on something, I literally talk to everybody and any, anybody. Um, and there's no, there's no mask. There's no filter. There's no, like, if you come to me and you ask me how to do X, I'm going to tell you how to do X, you know, in its entirety. And, you know, I think one of the, th one of the reasons that we ultimately, uh, you know, achieved some success with the group is because we were very, very value driven from the very beginning. You know, I don't I, I you got, you guys have your own group as well. You know, one of the things that, that we noticed when we were trying to grow our audience was that unless we were being very value driven, unless we were being very vulnerable, you know, unless we were being very kind of like out there and a little bit outspoken, it was hard to get the audience to participate as well, right? Because like, when you join a group, you're essentially walking into somebody's house, right? Right. And 
you don't walk into somebody's house and take over. You walk into somebody's house. Oh, but house there are some people that will try. Oh, uh, yeah, there are. For sure. <laughs> for sure. But when you're a guest in somebody else's house, you you know, generally speaking, most of us don't don't take over the home. And I think that, uh, you know, one of the things that allowed us to gain momentum very quickly was the fact that, you know, Taylor and myself and a, a small handful of others at the time were really just kind of opening up our playbooks to anybody that wanted to, you know, wanted to you know read or listen or whatever. And it, it didn't hurt early on that we had one particular skill set that was relatively raw with agents that they were all very, very uh, excited about at the time. That was what we were doing with regards to social media advertising. Yeah. So, you know, all, all the way back when we were getting started with uh, with all of this, you know, Taylor and I had spent a lot of time learning how to generate leads on the various social media platforms, both organically and paid. And as soup was getting off the ground, we were generating like leads for, you know, for insurance agencies, for our own agencies at the time, uh, you know, in some cases for like under two bucks a pop. And they were exclusive and they are highly targeted and they're the exact person that you want. And there's no one, you know, no one else calling the whole nine. And, uh, you know, it was fun and it was easy at the time. The, the, the platform has evolved quite a bit. It's not really built for your amateur marketer anymore. Facebook's not really built for your amateur marketer anymore. Is that what you're saying? I don't, I don't think so. Not, not, not for your amateur marketer. You know, a lot of the stuff that we were teaching, you know, back in the day, uh, an agent who had never done anything before uh, on any of the social platforms ever could really have a plug and play ad up and running within six to 10 minutes after they got, you know, after they kind of get their bearings on the platform. And nowadays, like you parachute someone who's never done it before into that platform and they are very, very lost. Yeah. It's not undoable, but it's not, it's not the same thing to teach that it once was. If yeah. that makes sense. That does. It makes a lot of sense. Ashley, anything to add to that? No, I mean, admittedly, and I've, I've never actually dealt with Facebook ads before, so I can't speak to whether or not it's easy or not because I've never had to do it before. But I would imagine it's only getting more and more complicated, especially because all of the platforms are you know coming together under the meta universe or whatever, and all these changes are happening. So I'm just glad I don't have to deal with it right now. And there's people like Michael that can teach people how to do it. Well, one of the fun things about the Facebook ad platform, and it's really all the social platforms, but Facebook is the most notorious for it, is they change the aesthetics of the platform. Oh, that's and, it's so annoying. And features and benefits. And they're doing it so frequently and so, and so rapidly that education that we produce today, 60, 90 days from now, someone will log in and be like, that video that you're, that you're using to teach us, like none of those buttons are there anymore. And it's like, okay, open up your ad manager. Now I got to take 20 minutes of my time because Facebook decided to, to switch things up. And yeah, it, it's become a little bit of a, a pain in the, uh, the tail to, to keep. <laughs> Let's talk about anonymous posts. Let's talk about them. <laughs> Let's talk about them. Ah, those are so annoying to be perfectly honest with you. I mean, I get the intent of anonymous posting. It's nice that you're on my side on this because I know a lot of people are not. Jeebus. I mean, there's a place for anonymous posting about something personal. When it's business related, just say what you got to say and get it. Oh, my. Yeah, I, I agree. One of the reasons why I invited you on here is not because of who you are and everything that you're doing. You, you had a post that just intrigued me a lot. The post was, what percentage of the industry do you personally feel is doing something they aren't allowed to in order to gain a competitive advantage? I, I feel like that feeds into this frustrated feeling. 
let's talk about that. What motivated you to post that? What motivated me to post that? I don't remember, to be completely honest. <laughs> um, something that something that day inspired it. You know, yeah. uh, you know, it's it's funny. It's a um, triggering post, to be honest, because you go into you know just how you feel personally about things as an agent and what you see other people doing, and like that's a that's a take it or leave it kind of post. That's one of the ones that you either say, nope, not touching this today, not today, Satan, or you dive all in <laughs> well, and go to town on it. Well, you know, my personal experience when I was in the captive world was that everybody is speeding and crossing their fingers that they don't get pulled over. Now, you may not know exactly how they're speeding. They may be using an automation platform that the mothership didn't like. They may be using some recruiting tactics that the mothership didn't approve of. They may have been doing some lead gen that, that wasn't allowed. but. From agent to agent within my own district, as I got to know all of them, it was always like, oh, so that's that's where you do a little bit of cheating. Oh, and you do a little bit of cheating by doing that. And oh, you're you're gassing it a little bit by doing nothing that would be necessarily like against what the DOI would allow. But within our own ecosystem and what the mothership would allow, there were agents that absolutely majority of the agents that had the mindset of. I got to gas this a little bit more than I'm allowed to, to give myself a competitive advantage. And I don't know that that goes on as widespread in the independent world. I think in the captive world, it you happens. You sure about more. that? You sure about I, that? <laughs> I, you know, it's funny. I'm, I actually have a meme with that. Uh, the, <laughs> the but, so, so here's why I Here's why I think it's more rampant in, in captive rather than on the independent side. The captive side has significantly more rules. So because you've got more rules, you've got more rule breakers. So something that a captive is doing that an independent is doing, the independent's doing it legally. The captive in their own ecosystem is doing it illegally. It's the same exact thing. Just like here in New York, I can spark up a joint and down in Texas, I'll get, I'll get thrown in jail for it. Ashley, like, didn't Ohio just pass cannabis? Um, they did, yes, but it's not going to go into effect for a while. <laughs> yeah. Uh, when when New York went legal with it, it took about it took about two years before the uh, the recreational dispensaries opened up. Okay. Right? Well, have you gone back and taken a look at the posts? Because I'm looking at it right now, and it says about forty to sixty percent, and there were four hundred thirty five votes. I was just looking at that. Do you feel like that's an accurate reflection of like true versus perception? I, I, I hadn't really thought of the number, to be completely honest. I wanted to see what the audience said when I posted it. I, I, I'd say it's probably, probably pretty accurate. I, I'd, I'd say probably closer to the 40 than the 60, but I'd say that that range is, is I think that surprises accurate. me a little bit. I mean, I saw it because I, I saw the obviously that 51% of the people answered the 40 to 60%, and then I saw how many people voted, and I, I think that surprised me. I wish I can ask those 200-plus people, like, specifically – are like what you just went through. Like you can do things legally and you can do things illegally. And a lot of the people you don't think are doing them necessary, necessarily illegally. But I would love to know the people that voted on this, were they referencing it legally or illegally? And I don't even want to say maybe like more ethically as opposed to unethically. Um, it's just, I'm, I'm very surprised that 51% felt it was 40 to 60% people that people were doing things they shouldn't be doing. I believe the psychology behind that is 
they know that someone's smoking them, right? In the captive world, the, the stats are shared with, you know, everyone's stats are shared with everyone. Independent world, you're not really as privy as often as far as, like, how your competition is doing and all that kind of stuff. But in the captive world, you once a month, you are shown, you know, where you are amongst your, your, your district, your territory, your region, you know, nationally. Like, you know, I am, you know, 7,000 out of 18,000. You know, I am, you know, fourth in my district. And what that winds up doing is you, you've got all these people that are above you, right? And what do most agents think? Most agents think that, you know, there's no way that someone could be doing that much better than me because I'm pretty good at this. And if someone is doing that much better than me, well, they've got to be cheating, right? So if someone is doing that much more than me and they're cheating and they're obviously not getting caught and the mothership's not paying attention or if they are, maybe they're turning a blind eye to it. Maybe I should cheat too. Mm -hmm. And what happens is some of those guys at the top are cheating. A lot of them aren't. They're just really good. You know, one of the things that I've learned along the way that I don't believe you learn until you get past that sink or swim period, which generally is around 36 months, is how important systems and processes are. And what you see a lot of the really big agencies doing that you don't see being done on a small level is that consistent system and process around literally anything and everything. You know, you can remove anyone from that agency and put a new employee in, put them through the training, insert them into the machine, and the machine's just going to keep running. But when you are running an agency that is not systematized, that doesn't have processes, and you're kind of, you're inexperienced, and you don't know what, you know, you're, you're asking your elbow yet, it's also confusing, and you're getting smoked, and you got the sales leader breathing down your neck, to, you know, telling you that your contract is, is in jeopardy the whole nine, well... You're going to do what you're going to do to, to earn that contract. And, you know, you're going to do what you think they are doing, you know, them being the Joneses that you're trying to keep up with. And, you know, they must be cheating. So what do I have to do? Uh, and I believe that is ultimately how it happens. I don't believe that many people come into the industry going, how can I how can I bend rules? How can I play in the gray? Yeah. Uh, anything like that. I think they look around and they go, I'm only doing X and the leaders are doing Y. They've got to be doing something that they shouldn't. Now I will too. Yeah. So how do you think as an industry, we can collectively address the issues? Or maybe even with your CIA agency group that you're doing, are you keeping a watch on what you think are unethical behaviors, even if it's not necessarily up against the DOI, just something that you would prefer the industry not display? I don't really insert myself as far as like what I think is like morally or or not not moral to do within the agency. If you're playing by the the rules, if you're playing by the laws, if you're, you know, within, you know, what you're allowed to do, I'm generally okay with it. You know, like if if I'm aware of an agent that's doing something that's like that's like not above board, yeah, we're gonna address that absolutely. But well, like for like, instance, we all have to have CE to get our licenses renewed. And a very small portion of that is related to ethics. And when you take that ethics, like none of it is really operational ethics that you can apply too much. It's just about learning the laws all over again. Is there a way that we should be incorporating more of these? You know, it's not really against the law, but let's not do it. Let's not stoop that low into regular CE, into general education as we're going that, you know, going through our. CE? Is there a way that we should incorporate that? Or is it just like through the insurance soup where we've got a bunch of people that they're talking 
And they're going to jump on the folks that they hear not saying the right things and try and get them to turn around about face and, and do the right thing. Like I'm looking at some of the comments and a lot of them have to do with policies being misquoted or stripped of coverage. Mm -hmm. While that's not necessarily illegal, as long as you, they're not going to sit here and tell you their entire process of, well, I actually did, you know, consult them and I got them to sign this and that, you know, whatever you, they're seeing it as something that is creating this competitive advantage because they're selling. It's not illegal, but I mean, that certainly falls into the world of unethical for sure. Right. You know, I mean, doing something like that to an insured and having them wake up one day thinking that, you know, they're totally covered for something to realize that, you know, oh crap, like that, that, that's a big problem. I, we've been fortunate that we have not dealt with an agent that, you know, that that's doing anything along those lines right now. You know, CIA, you know, we got that off the ground in August of 2018. And, you know, in that time we brought on, I think we brought on 223 agents to date. And we have not brought any on this year. We, we, uh, no, I'm lying. We stopped bringing them on in February and we stopped bringing them on because we don't feel like it's the right time to do that to someone. Yeah. You know, there are, there are plenty of other organizations that'll give you contracts right now, uh, or, or that'll help you, you know, that'll help you get appointments or whatever. But we do not believe that right now is a fair time to bring someone on to open up an agency from scratch. Mm. The, the, the uphill battle that you're going to be facing without having any residual money coming in, it's just, it's just too much. And, you know, we decide like a lot of people don't know this about CIA. Uh, you know, I, I, I believe that we are the only organization out there that are, that's bringing on independent agents that turn down way more than we bring on. Mm. Uh, we, we had, I think, I think we've had 2,200 agents look into becoming a CIA agent over the last couple of years. And I'm not saying that we turned you know, all of them that didn't come on with us down, because we certainly didn't, we got turned down plenty as well. But like we have easily sent away six, 700 agents and said, you know, not like, not just like, not, not just like not a good fit for us, but like, you should consider whether or not you should really be opening an agency at all. Because like during the, during the interview process and during the getting to know you period with, uh, with an agent that's looking to open an agency, you start to get a feel for things, right? You start to get a feel for where they're at financially. You start to get a feel for what may have happened at their previous stop. And there's this giant misconception on social media with agents that if you are captive and you are struggling, the solution is just go independent. Go indie. Mm -hmm. you know, the, problem isn't, the problem isn't you. The problem is you've only got one carrier. The problem is you're getting paid at a commission rate that's lower than a lot of the other ones. The problem is you've got too many rules over your head. The problem is A, B, C, D, E. And the reality is a lot of these guys and gals are failing because they just suck. And I don't mean that in any other way than a very blunt, plain, you know, plain talk way. And if you don't have the work ethic, if you don't have the drive, the ambition, the determination, the hunger, the fight, if that's not in you, like parachuting you into a, a, a new office where like, you weren't doing dickety do to begin with, but now on top of all of it, you've got instead of one set of underwriting guidelines, you've got like a dozen. Instead of having one platform for technology, you've got like all this stuff that you're like taping together with Zapier. You know, it, it just becomes a very, very different animal. And if you were never, if you were never suited to work hard to begin with, 
having all these options and variables and things that you need to now understand at a, at a much deeper level, it's not going to be a good time. And it's not going to be that life raft that you thought going independent ultimately was going to be. So, you know, we have, we have been very, very, I don't want to say selective because it's not like, uh, it's not like we tell people like, Oh, you can't be a CIA agent in the traditional sense, but we will tell them like, I don't know if you should do it. I mean, like, we'll, we'll let you, but like, I don't know that you should, you know? Yeah. It's a difficult market. So that's what your 2023 looked like in terms and not just, I'm not just thinking CIA here, but what do you think 2024 is going to bring? Cause I think that sounds really reasonable considering what the, the crap show that 2023 kind of has been for our industry. I'm hoping by Q3, things start to loosen up a little bit next year. By Q3 of next year? Yikes. That's a long time to wait. It is. It is. But What do you, you think, know? Ashley? I mean, I was just writing an article. I was trying to help an agent write an article today about the hard market and all the data that I was looking up for, like, Ohio specifically. I, I'm, I'm with him. I'm thinking, like, Q3, I'd be thrilled. Yeah. You know, it, it's... Uh... It's a tough situation, and and I mean, none of us have the crystal balls, and I mean, we're we're all just ants on the ground here. You know, the it's the it's the people up on the ivory towers that really have a a much deeper understanding of all of this. But I feel like I feel like all the, uh, you know, all the all the people that I've spoken to that I consider significantly more in tune with this stuff than I am, they've all been saying eighteen months for twelve months, and. That number hasn't changed. Like in January, they were saying 18 months and that's November and they're saying maybe another 18 months. So it's like, is anyone right? Are we all just regurgitating what we're hearing each other say? Like, like who really knows? Yeah. One thing I've heard you say about Insurance Soup Live, uh, the event that you posted for the past two years in Arlington, Texas at the live event. So, or at the Texas Live Stadium. So I think it's like the perfect venue for you guys is you want more than anything for agents and insurance professionals to be able to take information back to their agencies and implement it immediately. So from this theme of doing things ethically, and yes, you want a competitive advantage, what do you hope listeners can take back to their agencies and implement in terms of gaining a competitive advantage in this tough market that we just identified, one where you're not even appointing new agents at CIA, what do you hope they can take back to gain a competitive advantage ethically? Well, I mean, we we haven't really talked too much strategy on this call, but as far as like how to mitigate this current environment ethically and and still get as much done as humanly possible, like right now, there's a couple areas that that we're leaning very heavily on. Uh, we're we're leaning very heavily on virtual employees, you know, virtual assistants and, and things along those lines. Uh, you know, they help us get a lot more done. Uh, they're helping our agents get a lot more done. At a much more affordable price than uh, than a lot of uh, employees come at, and a lot of them work a lot harder than a lot of the employees that uh, that you find that you find in your own backyard. Automation is something that uh, that we're leaning very heavily on. Get you know, puts you everywhere. You know, all at once, you're all things to all people. And you know, th this one this one is a little bit of a gray area because I think it's uh, something that a lot of a lot of agents aren't fully willing or ready to embrace yet. But if you're if you're willing to play in the space and, and do it the right way. Uh, artificial intelligence has been a, an absolute game changer for us as far as efficiency, effectiveness, reach, you know, all those types of things. 
Uh, well, I mean, that's the start to the strategy game book right there. VAs, automation, and AI. Where does somebody start with that, though? Because there's so much information out there. It's almost to the point where you're like, okay, well, I'll start tomorrow. And then tomorrow never comes. I'll look into that tomorrow. Sure. Where do they start? Well, I mean, I, I just threw out three pretty big things, right? Right. Like, it, it, it would, I'm not saying go out and get all three of those things today so that you've got a, a, a great agency tomorrow by any stretch. It would really depend on what the the current problem is in your agency, and you know the problem that you may be having in your agency may not even be addressed by by those three things. I mean, there's a good chance one of them would hit would hit you know some of your problems. But I, I don't. I'm not. A, I'm not a huge huge fan of blanket advice for individual agents because everybody everybody's agency is so different, and you know, like, and that's one of the things that I find so funny about uh, about insurance soup and, and insurance agents on, on social media in general is you've got so many of them that will tell you the way to do things and they'll be pumping their chest and telling you that this is the way to do it. And, you know, having dealt with, you know, thousands of agents over the last couple of years in a number of different services and whatnot, like I can tell you right now that the, the guy that's doing it one way that swears by it is getting smoked by a guy that, he sw- that, that he'll swear can't beat him doing it the way that the guy, the other guy's doing it. So you know, I'm, I'm not a huge fan of the uh, of the blanket uh, of blanket advice. It really boils down to what kind of problems you have in your agency and, and how to go about it. I feel like the big topic of 2023, at least in, at least in our community, has been around the rising cost of employer uh, of employees, uh, their their ridiculously poor show up rate to interviews, their increasing demands on employers and the shift from working in the office 80-90% of the time to a desire or drive to maybe only be there 30-50% to 50% of the time. And if those are problems that you're facing in your agency right now, the virtual employees have been absolutely fantastic. They help you mitigate the rising cost of, of hiring right now. It helps you with inflation. I mean this very respectfully because I know we've got a lot of people that work very, very hard in our industry, but uh, a lot of the virtual employees will outwork. Like, if I can give one piece of advice, one piece of blanket advice to everybody in the, you know, everyone listening right now, if you've got an agency that has got a, a, a small handful of employees, look at your worst one and understand that a virtual assistant's going to freaking smoke them. And cost probably around a third of the cost, maybe maybe half the cost. It's it's interesting to wrap your head around the aspect of a virtual employee when one of the pain points of the employer is, like you said, the increasing demand to not be in the office as much. So now we're balancing the the um, yeah, the applicant that's demanding not to be in the office as much with a virtual employee that's not going to be in the office at all. Well, you know, I, so I, that, I mean, I'm a little, it's I, a conundrum. I, I, you know what? I've been trying not to plug here because I wanted to keep it agnostic, but, uh, <laughs> well, I, I, I don't, I, I, Go I, ahead and plug. If you need to plug, plug. No, I, I, I've got a lot of offerings and things that I'm involved in and I don't want to come on and have it be like the, like I'm, like I'm promoting my stuff, you know, type of thing. I'm, I'm here just to hang out and talk with you guys. But, um, you know, one of the things that I, I am a particularly big fan of with regards to agency VA, you know, who I personally view as the gold standard in, in virtual assistants right now is the fact that they actually have a proprietary software that all of the virtual assistants are logging into. And they're basically, you basically know what your virtual assistant is up to at all times. 
you know when when they when they've got downtime, you know what they're working on, you know what they're not working on, you know, you know when they logged in, when they logged out, when they you know when when their you know when their keyboard was idle. Uh, you know, so you know, we've hired virtual employees in the past and I'm talking domestic. I'm talking like, you know, one of you were working for me just in another area of the country. And it became a matter of, you know, we really just sucked at managing remotely. And it can be very difficult to do that agency VA with the software that they incorporate with their with uh, with their virtual assistants really allow you to have a, a nice finger on the pulse of what your person is doing all day, how much time they're putting in and all that kind of stuff. And, and what I personally like about that is the VAs are generally they're paid hourly, right? They're not they're not paid by the task. So, you know, if, if I'm giving them tasks and they're done by 11 o'clock in the morning, well, I know that they need more tasks. Obviously, if I don't have a way to keep them accountable at all, and I'm giving them something that is taking them three hours that in my head, I'm thinking it's going to take them eight hours or 10 hours, and I'm just not checking back in because in my head, that's how long it takes. Having that accountability software, knowing what your what your VA is up to and all that kind of stuff. It's a, a bit of a, a game changer for those of us. Uh, and I say us because me included for sure, that are absolutely terrible at managing remotely and just think that everybody's doing what they should be doing at all times. Yeah. Ashley, any thoughts on that? I mean, I think, and first of all, you're not, you're not plugging yourself at this point. Like you believe in what you do and you're educating people. Cause I know that personally me, like I wouldn't even know where to start if I were going to go with a virtual assistant. It's not something that in our agency we ever talked about or at that time, whatever, five years ago that we, that we needed. So I would have no idea where to start and what to look into. So I think it's great that we have somebody on the podcast that is knowledgeable in that and could be a resource instead of just going and Googling it and trying to figure out, all right, who's out there that we can talk to about it. I just know personally for me, I don't like working remote. I like being in the office and I like being around people, which I know is not the norm. Um, I do love that we have the flexibility that we have. So I come in most of the time, but if I need to leave, I can leave and no one's questioning me. Um, it would, I would be one of those people that would be, I think, hard to manage virtually because I, not that I wouldn't do my job, but I just get distracted way too easily. Yeah. Interesting. It's been a fun conversation. I don't want to tie you up any more than we already have. Michael, thank you so much for being on the Awkward Insurance Podcast today. Uh, thanks for having me. I had a great time. We had a great time too. I know I did. Ashley, you've just been sitting there listening. I'm mean, <laughs> like, I can, I can see your wheels turning. I know because I was going down like 11 different rabbit holes today. So I was just like, <laughs> lots of good stuff. <laughs> Thanks so much for being here. Toodles, everybody. Thanks for hanging out and listening to another Awkward Insurance Conversation. If you haven't already, be sure to join the Awkward Insurance Facebook community. We have an amazing group of people on there. And for more episodes, head over to the National Alliance website at scic.com. Now go forth and be awkward. Toodles. Mm, that's awkward. <laughs> 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 <laughs>